Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Hello and welcome back to Soft Black Woman presented by The Betcha Sup. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kade, and each and every Friday on Soft Black Woman, we'll be talking about a range of topics from pop culture to politics and how we live our lives, of course, through the lens of intersectionality. Each and every week on Soft Black Woman, I'll be joined by a different guest, co-host, who will help me break down those stories. And this week, I'm very excited to introduce my guest, Adrian Lawrence. Adrian is an award-winning commentator equity advocate, former litigator, teaches law and media at USC, author of Staying in the Game, the playbook for beating workplace sexual harassment, and all-around incredible person, news personality. I mean, there's so much more, but hey, Adrian, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It was quite the introduction. Listen it all up. Wait, I'm also forgetting. Um, you're a VP of a DEI firm, right? There's also yes. that. <laughs> that is correct. I'm quite a busy woman, it seems. Yes, um, I'm a vice president at Jennifer Brown Consulting. Yeah, I mean, and then and then you just give us so many great looks with celebrating black hair. I, I've really enjoyed your hair journey that you've been on like for the past year. It's, it's been wonderful to watch. Oh, thank you so much. I've actually gone through a hair I guess, issue in the last uh, 24 hours that uh, would be somewhat relevant to the show. But What's going on? A, a, a white colleague uh, reached out and touched my hair yesterday, and, um, and I, I had to educate her on that being completely inappropriate. And the, uh, the fact that it's a racial microaggression, casual racism, and so on and so forth. And so um, in, in taking that journey with her over the last 24 hours, it's just, it kind of invokes a lot of thoughts about Black hair and the identity aspects and also the power that comes with it when it is a Black woman's crown and when others try to enter the space and touch it. Well said. And it's exactly that for so many reasons. May I ask what beautiful hairstyle you have right now? So I have just changed up my hair. And so now I have long, uh, wavy hair. Okay. And so I'm enjoying this as having gone just from having faux locks. <laughs> the faux locks are super cute. Okay. Love long, brown, wavy hair. I cannot tell you the amount of times my hair has been touched. Typically happens when I have a protective style in because people are fascinated by the lock or the braid or the twist or whatever it is. And you're absolutely right. It is our crown. It's a place of royalty for us and pride. Sometimes, you know, there's so many journeys with our hair. Like I'm growing my hair back. I was losing my hair because of medication. It's a whole thing. But the whole audacity of coming into our space and place and that entitlement is sometimes a hard struggle for uh, particularly white people to understand. So I'm like, it's unfortunate you had to deal with that, but I'm also happy that you're able to navigate all the feelings and emotions that come from it and hopefully have, you know, those healthy boundaries of how you continually talk to her about it or not, because those are both mm -hmm. great decisions. It's, it's, I think it's really difficult because, you know, this thought of, oh, it was a sign of affection mm -hmm. and trying mm -hmm. to explain to someone that is not affection, that's casual racism. You don't, mm -hmm. this is not a petting zoo. You, you seek consent before you touch someone's body or things that are affixed to it. Why do you think that you do not need to send, seek consent this time in oh, some absolutely. way when it has to be connected to my body? It's just, honestly, it's very, very strange uh, trying to communicate that yeah. just because you are fascinated and or <laughs> impressed doesn't mean you can reach out and, you know, touch. Yeah. It's just, it's weird to me. Consent is spot on. I had an acupuncturist once, a white woman who would always touch my hair. And I was trying to give grace, but the last time it, the touch was a pat on my head like a dog. And I get that it's affection and she was happy for me and she's older and kind of viewed me as a, you know, a, a younger 
kind of grandchild type of thing. But I didn't ask for that. And those those touches are just incredibly infuriating, infuriating. But that's how white supremacy works. Um, you are my doll, my pet. You're here for my entertainment. I, it made me feel good. So why don't you feel good? I'm telling yes, you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have so much to talk about, like Michael Orr, the World Cup, and then obviously there's some babies that have popped into the world. But this next segment, we call it For the Culture. It's a part of the show where we examine some of the top trending pop culture and media headlines. And our first subject for today is Michael Orr. So if you don't know who Michael Orr is, um, he is a black man. He's a football player. Uh, he was the subject of the movie The Blind Side with Sandra Bullock, um, where Sandra Bullock actually won an Academy Award for her portrayal of his stepmom, um, Lee Ann Tuhi. And um, Orr uh, has recently said that the inspiration for the movie, like, you know, the whole Blindside movie, and that the whole storyline of him being adopted isn't actually true. So he filed a petition on Monday at a Tennessee probate court accusing Sean and Lee and Tuhi, the adoptive parents, of lying to him and making him sign papers for them to be his conservators rather than his adoptive parents. And this happened two decades ago. And so um, he's asking for the conservatorship to be terminated along with asking for full accounting of the money earned off of the use of his name and his story. And he wants to be paid what he's owed due to um, interest. He talks about how the uh, Tui's like basically, you know, used him at, at his expense and falsely and publicly represented him as, you know, his adoptive son and they're the adoptive parents. Now, some of you may or may not know that Michael Orr is actually not a fan of the movie The Blind Side. Besides that, he is an impressive NFL player. He's since retired. He won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. He's done lots of wonderful things. But here we are where he is. He hasn't played since 2016 where he's realizing what he thought was an adoptive supportive relationship was actually conservatorship. And we all know conservatorship has been a big topic, even just thinking about Britney Spears. So. Adrian, what are your thoughts around this whole situation? I would definitely say that from what I've read, it seems that it's uh, very exploitative. Mm -hmm. That there was a young man, Michael Orr, who, as much as the blind side, wanted to portray him as being a dunce, who was extraordinarily smart, which is how he got into that school. And mm -hmm. <laughs> But he did not have parental figures in his life. And thus, it seems that these Tui people see him as this rising star in terms of football, and they'd latch themselves onto him. They finagle him, it seems, and tell him, oh, we're adopting you, we love you, when really, no, they were slapping chains on him yeah. and working him, basically, while they reaped the benefit and reward. Yeah. This is disgusting on so beyond belief. On so many levels. And I, I think I love the, the use of the word slapping chains on him because they did for sure see him as a meal ticket. Right. And, and we do know parents will do this. And this happens across cultures like, oh, that kid is going to be a football player, a basketball player, whatever it is. I'm going to invest in all of this so I can have the life that I want to have so I can get the fancy car and the home and all this other stuff. It's important to note a couple things. When you have white people do this to a black person, it is definitely reminiscent of what we know that has happened in America and the history of America, which is the enslavement of black people and the manipulation of black people. I also think of like sharecroppers. Like, yeah, no, you are totally free, but you have to rent on my land where you were enslaved and I'm going to take a big percentage of the money that you're making, but you're free. And that's essentially what has happened to Michael Orr. Now, it could be that he's in the position where he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. I have the time and the space to reflect on what's been happening in my life since I became an NFL star and realizing where he is. And he is owed every single cent, every, every single time. cent. I, mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because the thing is, I saw photos of him uh, in People magazine and it was a picture of him being getting married. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know necessarily how he came to learn that it was a conservative leadership and it was not uh, that he was adopted. But the fact is that he's playing while he's playing sports and while he's so engulfed in his career, he is expecting people to be looking out for his best interests, his Mm -hmm. managers, his agents, Mm -hmm. his parents, these people who said they were his adopted parents. So I could see how he has absolutely no idea how some of the finances are run, how they're divided, split, so on and so forth. Also, I, it, you know, him not being a fan of the blindside film totally makes sense. Oh, yeah. Completely and totally makes sense, you know, because he's portrayed as not being uh, intellectually savvy or sound in any form or fashion that it was, it was very much a white savior. And so the fact that the family made so much off of that. Oh, yeah. And the, the excitement, the sexiness, the centralization of that whole relationship and how it, it has come through in the movie and how it's impacted his life. Now, the other side is realizing that or was able to have a place to live and, you know, like a home and like food. So then you're like, oh, I'm, you know, as a kid, remember, he's a kid. He's getting the things that he wasn't able to get consistently in one place. So that feels good. And so that's a way in which you build trust with someone. And so you're thinking like, oh, wow, these two people care about me. This family cares about me. And then you learn this whole thing. It's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of betrayal that happens there. And so I agree, like whatever's happened in his life, the marriage or whoever is advising him or what he's been able to learn and have the space. You don't get to the Super Bowl with having a whole bunch of free time on your hands, right, as an NFL tackle. But being able to be able to kind of come down from being, and a lot of people don't realize this, and I've, I've coached former NFL players. You, you, are, you are essentially playing football since you are five, six, seven when you get to that level. And your whole identity is around football. That's all you do is football, 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 and then more football. And so it's not until you retire where you have the space and place and time where you can really reflect on what your life has been like, where you want to go, what you want to do, how you want to be portrayed, like all of this stuff out, outside of that you know, NFL identity um, happens at this moment in time. And so even though this is horrific and incredibly disgusting, it's really you know, getting back into oneself. And I, I hope this is a triumphant story for him to be able to tell his story. I think it's really important as, you know, listeners and people in the world that we make sure he has support in this because, again, he has to go into a court of law. And you know this as an attorney that favors white supremacy, favors power dynamics. And although he has power and privilege coming into this relationship as, you know, a Super Bowl star, NFL player star, he's still a black man in a court of law that was built off of the principles for supporting white men. So we shall see what will happen there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I really hope that. Yes. I know. I, I, uh, and then like, I mean, then there's like transracial adoption that goes into it. And, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it also can be a bad thing depending on the parents. Are you the parent who's like, okay, I've adopted a kid from China, so I'm going to do all that I can so they understand their culture of being Chinese? Or are you the person who's like, oh, I finally got my kid, and so I'm going to raise them up like a white person or a white kid and not give them their cultural identity or an opportunity to explore and understand where they came from? And Michael Orr also has that. So I can't imagine how that is coming up for him, too. I, I just sincerely hope that the court will value his his predicament that he's in, where he unfortunately blindly and unknowingly trusted these people who came to him as parental figures. Oh, how all of that, you know, plays out as well and, and how he can be viewed as, as what you're saying. You're absolutely spot on. Um. All right. Well, sending all the, you know, good vibes out to Michael Orr um, and his legal team um, so that he can actually be justified and compensated for being manipulated and taken advantage of. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for 
anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So World Cup just ended. Some of you are like, World Cup? Well, you may know it as Women's World Cup, but it's just World Cup. Um, so with that... There is controversy around the Spanish football team, the, so the Spanish Football Federation. So Spain won 1-0 over England in the World Cup in Sydney, and it was like a bittersweet win because there was a lot of outrage towards the Spanish football president kissing one of the players. And so as the players were kind of coming on stage to like shake hands and stuff, he kissed one player. And it was delivered like post-match. It prompted outrage on social media. It was like a whole thing. So Luis Rubalias uh, was the president who kissed Ginny Hermoso on the lips. On the lips. And Hermoso came out later on a live stream and she said she didn't like it. But then she also later shared with media that she wanted to clarify that it was just like a neutral gesture of affection. It was totally spontaneous and a mutual gesture because of the immense joy uh, that winning the World Cup brings. Uh, the president and I have a great relationship. His behavior with all of us has been outstanding. And it was a natural gesture of affection and gratitude. So, you know, we have Hermoso just leaning into it's just natural gesture. It's totally fine. And um, Rubalis, the president, has, you know, come out and, and done a little video talking about what happened, but he's brushed off any suggestion that the act was inappropriate because they do have a friendship. So, you know, we have media folks on social media who aren't happy, but we have the soccer player who's like, it's fine. We have a relationship. We're friends. It's normal. What are your thoughts, Adrian? Okay, so I, I, I really, it's not, it's not jiving for me. You know, the fact is that she is receiving her medal as she walks on stage, Hermoso, and Rubiales grabs her and plants a kiss on her. And we only learned that she did not like that and that wasn't okay for her because fellow teammates were filming in the locker room and she was caught in the background. So she was speaking mm -hmm. in a very open way when she was caught on camera speaking tr her truth. The only reason she had to come out and put a statement is because of all the heat that he was facing and the reality that this is a workplace situation for her. And her boss, is in trouble. So of course she's going to put out a statement and say, oh, it's no big deal because it could jeopardize her career and her future. And the fact that Ruby Ellis, the president is now saying, oh, uh, you know, you all are idiots for <laughs> even being concerned with this. It, it just shows you the dynamics going on there that he does not see consent as something that's necessary, that he can go ahead and thrust himself upon one of the female players in public. And when People respond negatively and say this is inappropriate, including the player herself. Mm -hmm. He says everyone is our, our idiot. Mm -hmm. And only now, mm -hmm. after all of the outcry, has he finally issued an apology. Right. Like, no, this is who this person is. And they should not be in a leadership position in any workplace or workspace. So, you know, we started this conversation talking about consent around hair, right? And touching hair. It's the same. It's the same thing. Now, would it be a big deal to kiss someone on the cheek? You know, they're Spanish. It could be two or three kisses. What's wrong? Nothing's absolutely wrong with that because that's the cultural handshake or the hug, right? That's that is more accepted. But a kiss on the lips for that one player, and keeping in mind, it didn't happen for other players. No, right? Exactly. And he can't say they have a. And I know she said, "Oh, we have a we have a a friendship or whatever." Of course, she had to say that. Right. 
But if you had a friendship, you wouldn't have been caught off camera saying, I didn't like that. That wasn't cool. Right. No, it's like you are trying to see why, which I get mm-hmm. for, you know, the fact that you need to protect your economic independence and viability. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just it's it's it just speaks incredibly to the fact that oftentimes individuals from marginalized groups are stuck in this position where we have to entertain these, you know, subtle forms of degradation that people entertain because God forbid they just seek consent first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, consent is not hard. It's it's just it's it's not hard. It's not hard. It takes two seconds. I mean, even down to like a hug. I mentioned for some people, you know, a hug is how they say hello. But I'm always like, are, are you a hugger? Are you OK? Would you like to hug? You know, because you don't know what someone is going through. Right. Exactly. And not everybody wants to be taught. No. Like, you know, because there are some people like I'm not necessarily a hugger. But if I get the vibe from you and I'm feeling okay with it and you say I'm a hugger, I'll let you hug me. But otherwise, you can just stand there and converse. You do not need to touch. You know, you don't. It's just like I don't go and touch the Mona Lisa. So don't go and touch this Mona Lisa. Yet there are people who do touch Mona Lisa and works of art, right? Because they don't respect (laughs) space. Do you know what I mean? They just don't respect space. Like, I don't, you know, there's so many things that are there, particularly, as you mentioned, when you look at the power dynamic. Right. It's the president. So, again, when you have that amount of power and privilege, you can determine how someone is going to respond, which means it's more important for you to hold yourself accountable with how you're showing up. Like we, we were talking about Lizzo, right, and the whole Lizzo situation. That is the same type of thing. Hey, hey, maybe since you are the boss of your company and the star, Maybe just maybe don't ask your background dancer to eat a banana out of a, a vagina. I don't know. Right. Like the power dynamics. It's not a good look. I don't care how fun it's supposed to be. I don't care if you're like, oh, I just wanted to kiss that person. You have to think about the power dynamic that is there. Absolutely. And it's just I don't know. It's mind blowing that. Well, I can't actually say that people in positions of privilege and power aren't thinking about it mm-hmm. because oftentimes they are abusing exactly. that power, knowing good and well that they wouldn't do that to someone who is more powerful than mm-hmm. them. So it's not something that you would do to everyone. No, you are doing this because you feel you can get away mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And that power dynamic. So, I mean, I have power. You have power. We, we know we're executives. We have positions, but we have choices. And because of what we just talked about, we make informed decisions. We role model in a certain way. We lead in a certain way to not cause harm, discomfort. But it still comes down to a choice. The other side is when people get all of this power, like a president of an organization or Lizzo, and you feel above the law, then you're in that position of oppression too. Um, and how you could hold someone down knowing that you have this power so you can do all the things that you want to do because you have this power, which can oppress and silence, harm, hurt people. The fact that Rivialis grabbed her and kissed her and did it in front of the world, it really signals to Hermoso's teammates and the women in Spain that even at your highest moment, when you may be feeling the most powerful and the strongest and your best, that a that a more powerful person, often a man, can come in and snatch your joy. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it's disheartening. Mm-hmm. On so many levels. Again, it's that role modeling aspect that's there. And this particular organization has had subsequent issues <laughs> with like 15 players sent the same email to Spain's World Cup, that whole leadership group. And the email said, and this is prior, so these players did not, participate in World Cup, the email said, I currently do not see myself in a position to be a player eligible for selection for a national team for the reason I request to not be called up until the the situation is reversed. So there's emails talking about accommodations that are needed for the players. Um, There's been several issues with coaches saying that, that players, when they're on the road, had to keep their hotel room doors open until midnight. They inspected their bags. They did all of these things that were making the players uncomfortable. So much so, they didn't want to be part of the national team. And these players 
were not at the World Cup and these players did not win the World Cup. So there's a pattern that is there that's happening and there's no accountability that's happening with, you know, the president and and the leadership, some of the coaches around this team. And so we can't ignore the I didn't like it comment. We can't ignore the 15 players who did not want to be part of the team. We can't ignore these things. There's something that's happening there, but the power dynamics are allowing, you know, unhealthy behavior to continue. Yes, without a doubt. I, I'm really glad that Spain does have, I believe it's a ministry of like gender equality or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's great to have someone in that leadership position who is a member of government, but they need to have uh, actual power. They need to be able to have influence, uh, whether it is issuing significant fines or uh, administrative penalties, something. Because when you have organizations like the Soccer Federation there in Spain, uh, being allowed to operate this way where you have 15 players uh, essentially abstaining from something as high as the World Cup because they don't feel safe and they feel that they are being marginalized. That, like you indicated, that, that shows you you have a problem, right. significant problem. A- absolutely. Dr. Akila Kadeh, organizational development expert, putting the hat on, there's beyond red flags. We're in a, like a deep burgundy. The air quality side, it's all the way in that magenta area. It's still impressive that the team was able to win. So congratulations to the those who may identify as women who won like that is that is a sure a feat amongst all the other stuff is going on shows you the resilience of those individuals but there are so many things that need to be corrected and i do hope that change can happen hey there overwhelmed foodies are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same with the same fish picture fear not because amidst the chaos there's one shining star worth your culinary affection Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life homechef.com slash fever dream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Speaking of correction, a New York judge blocked retail marijuana licensing, which is a huge setback to the state's cannabis program. So their marijuana program, they've been doing a lot of impressive work to build an infrastructure like my state of California to be able to have legal distribution of marijuana, how they're working with ownership of those groups who would get licenses and all the other stuff. So New York Supreme Court Justice Kevin Bryant blocked the state from processing or issuing marijuana dispensary licenses with an injunction that faulted regulators for creating a program that is at odds with the state law that legalized the drug. So the order represents a severe setback for the state's legal marijuana industry, which has had a slow rollout. Like if you go to New York, you'll see some kind of places that are popping up amongst other challenges around, you know, like marijuana crops and, you know, this illicit market that's like just just ready to to boom. So the state office of cannabis management released a statement saying, while today's ruling is a disappointment, we're committed to working with the cannabis control board to find a way forward that does not derail our efforts to bring the most equitable cannabis market in the nation to life. And so similar to the other oversight board, when we're thinking about World Cup and and Spain's team, we have this, you know, cannabis control board that also (laughs) is in the situation of advocacy and diversity and all this other stuff. And they also don't have a say to bring something that I enjoy which is all of the marijuana um, 
to help with my like pain management. So once again, the setback is not only going to, you know, hurt folks who like me live with chronic illness and disability, but just the joys that come along with marijuana, but also the women and BIPOC um, shop owners and those who would have access to licenses and those who were formerly convicted who could have access to those licenses. There's a huge setback there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to finally see so many states get on board with promoting cannabis, uh, marijuana, and its accessibilities. I will always be on the soapbox of it being so much more better for you than alcohol for people who are interested in recreational mm-hmm. use. At the same time, when it comes to recreational sales, that equity element is a necessity because this, you know, the banning of cannabis, the criminalization. You know, it's rooted in racism and it has a long history of harming communities and tearing them apart for no good reason other than finding an excuse to hold back brown and black people. Mm -hmm. So it's those individuals who are marginalized who should have the opportunity first and foremost to capitalize Mm -hmm. on, you know, the legalization. And so this board really needs to do whatever, whatever is necessary, whether it's appeal this position, um, make the necessary changes, but people deserve equity at all levels and access. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'm always like, this reminds me of Shikari Richardson and the Olympics because marijuana is not a performance enhancing drug yet. She wasn't allowed to go to the Olympics. And, you know, at the same Olympics you have, was it Megan Rapone talking about her, her cannabis company or her CBD and being interviewed by like NBC Olympics about this. So <laughs> the equity component is crucial. Absolutely crucial. I mean, there's still people who are serving sentences over marijuana right now. And it's, it's legal in so many states. You know, they're still figuring out what that infrastructure looks like. Not every state is like my state of California where people have had their sentences expunged or reduced. So, you know, it's like, this is, this is ridiculous. This is, this doesn't make any sense. But the equity component is, oh, it is like absolutely crucial because so many black and brown people, so many BIPOC people are experts with marijuana, cannabis, whatever you want to call it. Absolute experts who built empires, who had structures, who developed strains, who worked on the marketing and branding, who are sitting in jail or not getting access to this trade that they have, this skill set, this executive level skill set that they have because of these types of setbacks. And shout out to Shikari for being the fastest woman in the country, winning um, another medal uh, this week. Yes. We love to see it. I just love that she is like doing everything for herself and just like shining, just absolutely shining. So we have to remember to continually support her because we are all waiting for her to go to the Olympics next time around and continually shine there. So speaking of shining, Detroit, they are, I love Detroit. I absolutely love Detroit. I love Detroit and for so many reasons. Why do you love Detroit? History. I love the history of Detroit. I love um, the amount of Black history in Detroit. You have Motown, you have um, Ford and what Black women did for Ford Motor Company you have like these really charming, like historic buildings. There's rebuilding. Um, there's a lot of black ownership there as far as businesses, home ownership, and there's now a Gucci store. So, <laughs> um, but that's, and, and they're working on, there's a lot of redevelopment that's happening that, that is bringing a lot of the vibrancy back to Detroit. Detroit used to be one of the biggest hubs. Um, in America. And I love that that can happen with ownership and, and celebration of, of Black people. So yeah, there's that. But there's a landmark grant for the, a, the Black Women's Clubhouse. They received $7,500. The Detroit Historic Designation Advisory Board um, selected one of eight projects to receive this fund. And it's in partnership with the Equity Rights Grant by the National Park Service. The grant money will fund continuous preservation efforts for the Detroit Association of Colored Women's Club and their headquarters, which which reside in Detroit. 
it was built in the like the 1920s. It started in the 1920s. And this is the first time that the Equal Rights Grant has been given to a Black organization since the 1970s. So that's interesting. And it is a place in which Black women have gathered to address social and welfare issues within the city's Black community. And so we love to see opportunities where um, history preservation is happening. There are other states where we've lost so many buildings that were uh, paramount to America's history, which is also Black history, for gathering spots and buildings and locations. So it's really important that we can see these structures and people can learn from these structures and the existing work that is happening with that women's club. Absolutely. When I was reading about it, the fact that they are investing $75,000 in this place of community, and it really feels like it's something that could possibly reinvigorate um, that gathering place and really signify to those uh, in the area and uh, further out that this is a vital resource for Black women and that this is a place you deserve a home and that connection and that it's willing, uh, that there are entities willing to invest in it. And I just think that's a really powerful message that's being sent. No, absolutely. Those messages are important to validating our history and our stories as those who identify as Black women. Because, you know, some may say it's a challenge to be a Black woman in America. <laughs> so, uh, which is why I have Soft Black Woman podcast, to lean into the softness and not have to be in that uh, stereotype of being a hard Black woman, angry Black woman, difficult Black woman. We can be celebrated and soft. And now we have this wonderful moment in, in history. Another wonderful moment in history is Kristen Cooper. So if you don't remember, Kristen Cooper was racially profiled in New York by, you know, the whole bird watching Central Park situation. And now he has a show on National Geographic called The Extraordinary Birder with Christian Cooper. Um, the series follows him and the expert bird watcher that he is as he travels the world. He is hoping that the show is going to encourage people, particularly black and brown communities, to go bird watching. And when he is in this, in his uh, element as a bird watcher on his show, he's specifically making sure he's talking to and highlighting BIPOC folks and bringing them into the world of birdwatching. There are six episodes that are available now uh, for his first season on Disney+. Plus. I mean, isn't this like, isn't this what we love to see in the world from something that was so horrific to this? Absolutely. I remember when that went down. I think we were on lockdown during the time and just yeah. And, you know, and Christian Cooper is out in Central Park just trying to enjoy the open space and do the bird watching that he is so passionate about. And to have this experience where you are racially profiled and then this person tries to weaponize law enforcement against you in a way that could mean life or death for you. And seeing all of the things that came from that, I am so glad to hear that this is a punctuated ending of this story. Really just a joyful moment where we just get to realize that, hey, these stories can end well for yes. Black people. So you are absolutely right. We have an opportunity to celebrate joy and seeing a Black man, seeing Christian Cooper in his element, role modeling uh, an important thing, bird watching, but more importantly, how he could go through something so horrific and come out in a shining moment. So make sure y'all watch his show. The next statement we have is twice as hard. So while BIPOC individuals often have to work twice as hard to get half as far, this segment highlights a conversation or eye-opening moment for BIPOC individuals in culture and politics. This week, it's all about Paramount and how they decided they won't sell the majority stake in BET uh, Media Group. Uh, if you don't know, BET is Black Entertainment Television. It is something that is important to both myself and Adrian. We have so many moments. From Comedy Central to late night videos to video jams to shows, it is something that is paramount, pun intended, to the Black community. 
Paramount notified the bidders late Wednesday of this week about its decision to not sell. And they didn't want to talk any further about it. But the company determined that they wanted to keep their stake in BET because it creates more value for Paramount than any of the proposals after consulting with their financial advisors. Now, proposals included Tyler Perry, Sean Diddy Lovecombs, and then businessman Byron Allen, all black men. And and Byron Allen, if you don't know, he owns the Grio and the Weather Channel. And those proposals did not give them what they wanted. And this is infuriating to me on so many levels to not have a black person have majority stake and interest in a black network. Yep. It's, you know what? I'm actually not surprised that Paramount pulled this. <laughs> it almost felt like it was dangling a carrot and saying, maybe your people can mm-hmm. have back your product and, and then snatched mm-hmm. it back. And I, I'm just, I'm not surprised. Uh, it's just, it is disheartening because it is, uh, based off of, you know, our fandom, our viewership, our culture. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact is that we don't even own our own work product, but it's such, it's such a representative of very much of the American experience for a lot of black people. Like we've oh, made yeah. our contributions, we've built, but we still don't own. Yeah. I mean, we, we connected around the black news channel. Like, you know, it was like the second kind of thing that we did together. And and the Black News Channel was a moment in time where there was programming for Black people, news for Black people. It was a whole thing. It's no longer a network. It's been consumed by the the GRIO. But even with the programming of the GRIO, it's not at the level of BET because of the history they have, the relationship they have with Paramount, which means MTV and all these other things. The thing that infuriates me is the value. They feel they have more value than the other proposals of people who are prolific and iconic in Black community. Whether you like Tyler Perry movies or not, he has an entire empire. He has made Atlanta, you know, Black Hollywood. That is not easy to do. And Diddy, or Love, has done so much for the music industry, built a culture and a brand. There's Revolt TV and Byron Allen again with the Grio um, and the Weather Channel. And so this concept of ownership of our stories by someone who's not black is, is definitely hard, but that's why it's twice as hard. Like even in the, the places in which these individuals, Tyler Perry, Diddy, Byron Allen are building things. It's not to the level of paramount and all the networks that they have because this is how white supremacy works y'all. And you know, what is actually also kind of disappointing as someone who's worked at various networks and, I do want us to be able to own our product and to have a stake in it. So we're not just puppets in the game or we're not at the will of uh, generally like a white dominated board right. um, or voices. At the same time, I definitely want us to have the ownership, but also the the knowledge and the foresight and the compassion to not perpetuate white supremacy once we are in leadership positions. Because oftentimes I've seen where there are instances where you might have someone who is black in leadership all of a sudden, you know, deciding, oh, well, I'm going to oppress black women because now I'm in a position to lead or I'm going to go ahead and perpetuate the same racist stereotypes that I experienced when I worked for white companies. Mm-hmm. And and so needing that ownership to also come with meaningful, introspective work and change it is incredibly, incredibly necessary. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also why I have a segment called Sounds About White, and it's my favorite segment of the show and where we highlight a new story featuring the latest in white privilege. And uh, this week, a Texas woman has been charged with threatening uh, in a voicemail to kill the federal judge overseeing former horrible President Donald Trump's criminal case in Washington, D.C. around his attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Abigail Joy Sheary called the chambers of George Chutkin on uh, August 5th and left a voicemail message threatening to kill anyone who went after President Trump. This voicemail included racist comments, including stupid slave N-word, E-R, hard E-R, I want to put that in there. And if Trump doesn't get elected in 2024, we're coming to kill you. So tread lightly, bitch. 
you are in our sights. We want to kill you. You will be targeted personally, publicly, your family, all of it. And so on August 8th, Abigail admitted to the department that she made the call to the judges' chambers, but that she had no plans to travel to D.C. or Houston to carry anything out. She wasn't going to do it. She wasn't, she wasn't going, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so she's all talk, no action. Okay. Yeah. Let her go. Yeah. Not, yeah. Okay. Oh no yeah, totally. Please, Thanks, please, please lean into your white privilege and be like, no, you're fine. Yeah. No, you're great. But it's really important to take these death threats seriously because one, the trial hasn't started. And if you don't know, um, the judge is a black woman. And so I've, I've received very horrible messages. I got my first death threat a few months ago and it is a horrible feeling. And I'm in a situation where I'm preparing for my book to come out in February. And y'all know my book is called White Supremacy is All Around, Notes from a Black Disabled Woman in a White World. So I have white supremacy in the cover, on the cover in the title. And so I'm preparing for more death threats. And I hate that I am preparing for more death threats. And I hate the feelings that come from telling the truth about what needs to happen in the world and that white supremacy exists, just like this judge saying like, oh, we have all the receipts of how this is wrong and being threatened, like our lives, our loved ones and our family members being threatened for doing the right thing. So I'm sending a whole bunch of love to this judge because it's only going to get worse for her as it's only going to get worse for me. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's completely it's disgusting. It's unfortunate, and I lift up this judge uh, Chutkin as well. I'm also very grateful though that she has the U.S. Marshals, um, oh, you yeah. know, there to protect her. Like she's got the feds who are willing to flex to step up and ensure that she is safe, that her family members are safe, and they'll do whatever they need to do to give her protection. And what sucks is that women like you don't have that same arsenal, mm -hmm. that same uh, protection, and so. We should enjoy that so we can speak our truth, so we can share our stories and our experiences without white supremacy uh, being so intent on tearing us down and silencing us by way of fear. Exactly. And, you know, fear isn't something we have to think about, but it is important to note that I risk so many things in order to make this world a better place. So, wrapping up, um, for our soft black woman of the week, we have two soft black women and it's Rihanna and Serena Williams. They both had babies and we don't know what Rihanna had. It's reported that's a girl, but we do know that Serena had a girl and they're the soft black women because black women having babies in this country is a feat. And we all know what happened with Serena Williams before. And she was able to successfully have a kid without life-threatening things like the first time she had a kid. So, so, so happy um, for that to happen. Yes, I agree. The, you know, the fact that the Black maternal mortality rate is so high in this country, it really is. It's a risky endeavor to give life as a Black woman. And so I definitely, I, my hat is off to them. I'm glad uh, that they are safe and that they had their babies and that they are safe and healthy. Oh, absolutely. So I call the podcast Soft Black Woman for a reason. So I have to know, how are you going to be soft this week? Kind of to circle back with our conversation that we started with, uh, the white woman touching my hair. Mm -hmm. that, that was a very stressful experience for me, oh, having to educate her on how to keep your hands to yourself, number one, but also the racist legacy and history behind it. And, and that was added stress I didn't need. And so I am going to nurture myself because I feel like now I am uh, a little bit tense um, when I'm now going to be interacting with more white women um, mm, as mm -hmm. I have various engagements coming. And I feel like I'm going to be on, on guard and I don't want to live that way. Um, so I am, I am certainly going to make sure that I feel at peace to check in with myself and also lean on um, my loved one and my community around me so that I feel like they will protect me or they will interject or they'll slap some hands yes. just in case another yes. white woman decides yes. to reach yes. in. Yes, Ugh, I, I want I that protection. May 
I can essentially give you a virtual hug. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you deserve that. I, 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 I do know that exact feeling and what that does and how on guard we have to be, particularly when we have to go back into a white space. You can't have a break from that space to kind of like recharge, reset for the next time it will happen again because it will. And that's the unfortunate reality. How am I going to be soft this week? Your, your softness is great. But for me, so I have a depression pile. And if anyone doesn't know what a depression pile is, it's just a pile of shit. Clothes, bags, suitcases that I accumulate because I have major depressive disorder. And so I have the energy to go through it. I started working on it last weekend. So I'm going to continually work on that. And it may sound like insignificant to some of you, but to be able to have the actual space and remove the clutter does a lot for my mental health. And it's a positive sign when I'm able to kind of work through that and reclaim that space. And so that's how I'm going to be uh, soft this week. Can you tell the listeners how they can find you? So the listeners can find me. It seems just about everywhere. But um, <laughs> I definitely I'm on uh, Instagram at Adrian Lawrence. I'm on Twitter to the extent I still exist uh, at Adrian Law. Uh, I also have a video segment on Rebel Headquarters called Overruled, and that's on YouTube and Facebook. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely look forward to connecting with more folks. And really kind of just sharing the message of how we can all be soft black women and take care of each other. Yes, definitely a follow. I've learned so much from Adrian, And I love that we are able to support each other in the DMs and in the comments of the stuff that, you know, is happening in the world. So thank you. That is it for today's episode. Be sure to join Soft Black Women Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify and follow the Betcha Up podcast wherever you're listening. We'll have new episodes of Soft Black Women every single Friday. So be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss out on our next episode. And you can follow me at Change Today, the word change, C-A-D-E-T, and follow at Betches underscore news on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, stay soft and keep being amazing. Soft Black Women is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.